the hills and far away, Teletubbies come to play. One. One. Two. <laughs> Two. Three. Three. Four. Four. <laughs> 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 <Teletubbies>. <laughs> Welcome to Down the Rabbit Hole. This is the uh, midweek episode with uh, Brandon. Um, you've got me this week. Uh, yeah, so I, I've been talking about it for a while, and I decided I would finally do it. So here, here's your Teletubbies episode. Um, it's not all Teletubbies, because, I mean, there's some very interesting and weird theories that go along with the Teletubbies, but I didn't think it was enough to fill up this whole show. So I've got the Teletubbies. I'm going to start with that, and then I'm going to jump into some of the other ones I mentioned on one of the episodes, um, the Ed, Ed and Eddie which is a very interesting one. We've got Rugrats. Um, and if we have time, um, I may mention a few of the others. Uh, Inspector Gadget, SpongeBob. Um, there's a bunch of them, actually. Uh, the Smurfs, Gilligan's Island, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Powerpuff Girls. There's a whole bunch. So we'll see how many I can get to. Um, but like I said, we'll start with the Teletubbies. So one of the first things they talk about is right at the beginning of the intro there, you could hear the giggling, and that's the sun. That is a big baby's face, um, which is creepy to begin with. But if you watch, um, a lot of people say as you're watching it, as the, the sun basically explodes, um, a demonic face comes out of the baby. The baby's face turns into a demonic face, um, which is very interesting. Because um, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like one of those things that, you know, like when you see those weird pictures of the, you know, one depending on how you look at it is what you see. Once you see one, you can't really not unsee it. Um, that's kind of how this is. So there's that one. So they say the baby is a, a demon, which kind of goes right into the, the next theory where they say um, the Teletubbies are actually biogenetically engineered slaves. Um, it's a very interesting one. Uh, part of it is there's no official backstory on the creation of Teletubbies. Um, but a lot of people believe that the Teletubbies... Um, are not in control of their own destiny, and that a mysterious voice tells them when to do everything, from eating to sleeping. And that's one thing you'll notice on the show if you ever watch it, which I didn't watch it a whole lot, so a lot of this stuff for me is just stuff I read about. Um, I couldn't... My kids weren't allowed to watch it. Um, mainly because, one, 
Um, I mean, it had been out a couple years before I had kids. I mean, it came in out in 97. My first firstborn was born in 99. Um, but it's, well, actually, I guess that's, I wasn't a father till 99. My, my oldest was actually born in 95. But, yeah, that's one of those weird, you know, stepdad, whatever, blah, blah, blah things. But, yeah, so my kids weren't allowed to watch it. One of it is because they mumble a lot, and I don't like it. Um, I wanted my kids to learn how to speak correctly, not speak gibberish. Um, so I wanted them to be able to speak correctly. So that was one issue I had with it. But there's still more to it um, once you read a lot of the weird things. So apparently there's a mysterious voice that told them what to do. Um, there was a vacuum-like character called the No-No who constantly kept the Teletubbies in check, making sure they'd follow orders. Um, there was Pinwell, a godlike structure at the top of a hill that caused Teletubbies to drop whatever they were doing and fall to their knees and worship whenever it spins. The Pinwell then would pick its favorite character and turn its tummy, TV, uh, into a show and let them all watch their, their show on the that Teletubbies tummy TV. Um, very weird. Um, very, very interesting. You know, follow, follow the rules and you'll get the prize kind of thing. Um, yeah, very, very odd. Um, and then there'd be, you know, the, the other one that they said, that the Teletubbies are hypnotizing your children. That microphones pop out of the ground and chant time for Teletubbies about a dozen times, which led many parents to boycott the show because they believed it was attempting to brainwash their children. Um, if you really think it's brainwashing your children, watch the other TV shows they watch. Most of them are brainwashing your children. Um, a lot of people think that Teletubbies and Harry Potter are con- connected. Uh, they both released in 97. Um, and the strange intent on the heads of Tinky, Winky, Dipsy, and Pooh um, are three symbols when combined form the symbol of the Deathly Hollows, a key element in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter universe. Um, Lala the Yellow Teletubby has a lightning bolt as their antenna, strangely similar to the lightning bolt scar on Harry Potter's head. Um, that's about all I know about Harry Potter, too. That's something else I didn't watch. So, And then the giants in real life. Um, they look cute and tiny on screen, but in real life they're actually 10 feet foot giants. Um, that part's actually true. Um, a lot of people have, have commented on that one, that once you got them on stage, they were huge. In fact, um, they're like Kaiju from Godzilla. Pretty much, yes. Um, yeah, they say Tinky Winky is actually 11 foot tall. So Tinky Winky's 11 foot tall. Lala and Dipsy are about 10 foot, and Poe is about 6 foot. So at 6 foot, he's the short guy. Um, the ve- actors eventually had small seats. Uh, hidden inside their costumes so they could sit down between takes. Um, the rabbits they show on the show are actually huge um, because they had to be to make it look like they were real rabbits to the the, the giant um, things. They're actually the they call them the Flemish giant rabbits. Um, and one of the things that they've said too that the rabbits mated so often that they had to keep interrupting and reshooting shots because they do a shot and there'd be rabbits fucking in the background. <laughs> so apparently they didn't want to show that to the kids. Um, at one point, candidates for the Metropolitan Police Special Branch were once asked to name all four Teletubbies in an entrance exam, and if they couldn't, they got docked points. There's a horrifying spinoff called Tiddly Tubbies. I didn't want to even find that one. I th- there's a YouTube clip to that, and I I was afraid. Um, 
The creator sold the show in 2013 for more than 15 million pounds, um, which is amazing. Um, there's a couple of other weird things. There was one episode that was scared children so bad that it had to be banned. There's a question called Seesaw that contained a lion and a bear made of moving cutouts that somehow managed to be incredibly creepy. Um, yeah, there's a video you can find of it on YouTube. They are creepy as heck, but apparently it was so bad that um, they had to... Uh, yeah, they had to ban it. They were given the keys to New York City to celebrate their 10th anniversary. The Teletubbies visited New York, receiving the above honor as well as having the actors' identi- identities revealed for the first time. John Simmons as Dipsy, CBB's presenter Pui Fan Lee as Poe, dancer Nikki Smedley as Lala, and the late Simon Shelton as Tinky Winky. Um, the home where they filmed has been flooded. On purpose. The people that owned it, following the show's enormous success, the owner of the land, where the exterior shots of Teletubbies' home were shot, um, got so fed up with trespassers that she flooded the entire site. Where Teletubby land sat, people were jumping fences and crossing cattle fields. She said at the time, we're glad to see the back of it. So, yeah, they just flooded it to get rid of people jumping in. So... Uh, tubby custard is actually just mashed potatoes. So tell the tubby snack of choice, a combination of mashed potatoes, red and yellow acrylic paint, not for consumption. I mean, so, I mean, there's a few things here, um, that are very interesting. Uh, Tinky Winky was originally portrayed by Dave Thompson, who was asked to leave at the end of the first series in 1997 because his interpretation of the role was not acceptable. He said, I am proud of my work for them. I was always the one to test out the limits of the costume. I was the first to fall off my chair and roll over. I took all the risks. I want to know, how was he interpreting the role of Tinky Winky in a way that wasn't acceptable? Tinky Winky is a serial rapist. Apparently, I mean, Tinky Winky just sounds like a name that you someone gave their freaking, like, a girl gave her boyfriend's dick. He's got a Tinky Winky. Wow. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's really, I mean, there's a few things on the Teletubbies. It's quite interesting and kind of creepy. Um, I figured it out. The reason you can't understand them is because they're from Baltimore. <laughs> Jesus, Beach. Yikes. That's Beej, by the way, since I'm in studio at home. I Beej is my sound engineer, and yeah, he's he's interesting. He's special. The fuck? <laughs> Shush. So so yeah, so so that's I mean, there's a few other things on the, the Teletubbies, but I mean it's one of those things I think for me, um I know this was suggested by uh, Danielle, who I've talked about a couple times. But for me, it's one of those things I never really experienced at Teletubbies, so it's not a, a huge thing to me. Um, they're creepy. They're definitely creepy. I never liked them. They, they're definitely creepy. Um, and the picture they show of them like crossing the street in New York, like the Be- re- like recreating the Beatles picture, but in New York, um, is just odd. It's very odd and very weird. So... So, yeah, so that's really them. Uh, so now I'm going to go through, and all of you who are my age, maybe had kids a little bit, you know, young, older than mine or younger than mine, um, and now I'm going to ruin your childhood. 
So we, we mentioned the you know the Teletubbies that that's quite weird. But now let's uh let, let's jump into the Rugrats. Now this one's twisted, and this is messed up because my kids did watch Rugrats, and I remember watching Rugrats with them and stuff like that. And this gets really, really, really interesting. So in this one. And these are all fan fictions where people come through with these crazy ideas of what they think um, these TV shows and cartoons were really about. Um, so it, th- this theory is that the Rugrats, um, that all the Rugrats were actually a figment of Angelica's imagination. So if no, you didn't watch the Rugrats. Angelica was the older one um, that basically had to deal with the younger ones um but yeah in in this theory she was just imagining everyone so in the theory chucky actually died a long time ago along with his mother um that's why his father Chaz is always a nervous wreck um tommy was stillborn and that's why Stu is constantly in the basement, you know, his dad, uh, making toys for the son who never had a chance to live. The DeVilles, uh, the twins' parents, had an abortion, and Angelica couldn't figure out whether it could, would be a boy or a girl, thus she created the twins, two siblings of opposite gender. Um, yeah, so that's that's all, all weird. Um, and then as for gro- all grown up, so... Because that was, you know, they, they had Rugrats, and then Rugrats came back as all grown up. Angelica was a bipolar schizophrenic who, as a teenager, became addicted to various narcotics, um, which brought her back to her childhood, thus creating a world in her mind um, that she had obsessed over. Because of the time lapse between, you know, the original show and the present, you know, because now she's older, um, she made them older. So she was constantly taking hits of acid so she would never have to live without her creations. To her, her creations were only company in a judgmental world. Um, Her mom had actually died of a heroin overdose. So Angelica was, you know, like we said, schizophrenic and bipolar um, because she was a crack baby. Additionally, Drew, in his depression, who Drew was Angelica's dad, married a gold-digging whore. This is somebody else's writing. I'm just kind of, you know, paraphrasing. Um, that Angelica idolized because she fooled herself into thinking it was her real mom. However, she was always had a concept of her mom, Cynthia. Uh, if you ever watched the, the show, Cynthia was a Barbie doll that she had made to mirror her birth mom's image, which the Barbie doll wore, wore an unwashed orange dress and jacked up hair. The hair was all shaved and weird and sticking straight up and down, um, which is why she was so attached to it. And then later in life, she followed her mom's footsteps and then um, in this theory, she died of an overdose at age 13 when All Grown Up was canceled. And that's why the show ended. Because Angelica died because she had an overdose. Um, which is just so crazy. Um, their only rugrat now to be fictional was unborn Tommy's brother, Dill. Um, Angelica didn't know the difference between Dill and her creations. Dill didn't follow her commands. And after endlessly crying and refusal to disappear like the others did when Angelica was angry with them. Um, so she hit him. After she hit him, he screeched in a screeching tune, and Stu ran in and pulled his niece off his only child, but it was too late. Dill had a brain hemorrhage, which resulted in a deformation. As he grew up, his damage only became more evident, and by the time he was nine and all grown up, he lived as an outcast, being ridiculed for his weirdness and retardation. 
the immense gu- guilt over this is what caused Angelica to start using drugs and to uncreate the Rugrats briefly until her experience with hallucinogens. This one's so fun. Uh, Chaz lost his mind after the death of his first wife and was in denial that she was ever a prostitute. Um, on a trip to Paris to find love, Chaz fell in love with a hooker named Kira. He was originally going to marry a different hooker, but she just wanted him for his money. Kira once had a daughter named Kimmy, but the baby was torn from her by law due to her cocaine addiction. Angelica imagined Kimmy for Kira's stories. From Kira's stories, upon return to America, Chaz and Kira married, and she got her a green card. It was a surprising, happy, romantic story. Um, that's the the when they go to Paris. So that's the the Rugrats go to Paris. That's the movie based the Rugrats go to Paris, but that's just a different interpretation of it. Um, Susie was Angelica's only friend who entertained the thought of Angelica's creations because they seemed to make her happy. She later became a psychologist and teamed up with Nickelodeon to make the Rugrats. When Angelica died of the overdose, Susie helped arrange her funeral because of her addictions and her mental state. Angelica was expelled from society, which led to a break with reality and her eventual death. She spent the last days of her life in the back of the school cafeteria, imagining friends around her and playing with the lives of her creations. Wow. That one goes deep. That one goes dark. Um... There's a lot of loops in this one, though. Um, that was one of the things that, you know, I, I really read through this one. This is one I've seen come up a few times. Um, the loops, that the, the loopholes, the big loopholes, are that Angelica isn't in every scene of the show. She's not always there. So how could they all be a figment of her imagination if she's not there to imagine it? Um, that would be the weird part unless you go through and think that her imagination goes so deep that she's actually imagining what they're doing when she's not there. So that that is a weird one. That is deep. And it's one of those that like reading through this, I'm like, I remember watching this with my kids and I don't see how any of this is really possible. I think somebody, I think somebody else was doing some good drugs when they came up with this. Some definitely good drugs. Very creative. So that's a, that's definitely an interesting one that I've read a couple times. Um, one that's not a huge. Uh, Scooby-Doo, the original th- series, um, started in 1969. So it's older than me. Um, but not older than Big D. Um, which makes the K-9 46 years old. They're actually older than that now because the, the article I'm looking at is from 2015. So he'd actually be 51. So... Uh, the original show never explained how a dog could speak English, and Shaggy, Velma, and Fred and Daphne acted like it was totally normal, even when other characters would ask uh, that dog can talk. Uh, most people just shrug it off as a cartoon, but Redditor, uh, the mighty Heptagon, has his or her own theory. Scooby was bred as a super intelligent test subject to the Soviet space program. So, believe it or not, there seems to be some actual evidence to support this kooky theory. Um, yeah. So, Scooby-Doo premiered during the Cold War era, almost exactly two months after Paul Levin put Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon. The first episode of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, aired. Um, by the time the cartoon premiered, the Soviet space agency had been going strong for years. Sputnik 1 became the world's first official satellite in 57, and the Vostok 1 space flight made Yuri Gagarin the first man in space in 61. Dogs had a history with Soviets in the space race. This is very well known, that the Soviets would spend, send dogs into space. 
um, to test out their rockets. Um, while Gagarin was the first man in space, he wasn't the first being in space. Um, but if you know the history of the space race, you also might recall that the Soviets sent a few other cosmonauts into space before Gagarin's famous flight in 61. He, they sent dogs. Uh, Lekay, a part Samoyed terrier, was taken from the streets of Russia and shoddily prepared for space exploration. Unfortunately, Lekay perished shortly after being launched. This was on Sputnik 2 in 57. The dogs Belka and Strolka were similarly sent into space as living test subjects on the Korob Sputnik 2. Um, satellite in 60 and became the first Earth-born creature ever to fly into space and return alive. Um, but what does this history lesson have to do with Scooby-Doo? Um, yeah, so he was part of an experiment. According, uh, yeah, in the universe of Scooby-Doo, is a possibility that the Soviets also looked into an experimental breeding program that could have produced dogs with greatly enhanced intelligence. It sounds batty, but superintelligent animals could potentially have been a great asset to the Soviet Space Agency. After all, why risk the life of a trained cosmonaut for a simple test flight when you could just send a dog who's smart enough to record data, operate consoles, and understand complex commands over a radio? I'm pretty sure that's like the origin of Ein from Cowboy Bebop. I think so it is. Yeah. It does, yeah. That'd be an interesting one. Ein, uh, yeah. Cowboy Bebop's a great show, but that, that, that is pretty much sounds like the origin of Ein. Um, yeah. So, humanity tends to have an ugly history of using animals who are seen as lesser than humans to explore a situation with a higher chance of vitality, um, as evidenced by Laika. 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 L-A-I-K-A. Once again, everyone knows I cannot pronounce names, so if I'm pronouncing those completely wrong, tough titty. Um, furthermore, the Reddit users argue, but in the course of their secret breeding program, maybe the Soviets unintentionally gave birth to at least one dog who is smart enough to learn and imitate human speech. Scooby-Doo, the dog who speaks English, but is definitely rough English, or should we say rough. Wow, that was really bad. Um, yeah. So, Scooby-Doo's origin story was actually pretty badass. Scooby, Scooby started his life as a subject in the space agency breeding program, but escaped when one of the scientists bonded with him as a puppy and decided to take him to America when he defected. Then maybe Scooby ran away when his original owner died of old age, leading to being adopted by his future best friend Shaggy, who took Scooby with him when he joined Fred, Velma, and Daphne in their meandering travels throughout the backwoods of America and Fred's beloved van. And since there was some debate in the comments section about whose van the mystery machine actually was... Um, it's been argued over the years that Daphne's father owns a van as well as Shaggy, so unless the OG animators at Hanna-Barbera release a statement about who actually possesses the van, we'll never really know for sure. Um, Scooby-Doo, uh, the CIA started hunting for Scooby-Doo. Since the U.S. and Soviet Union were opponents during the Cold War, getting inside information about what the Soviets were up to was definitely on America's mind. Um, Scooby went on to live a happy life with his new friends, but CIA still never gave up on the hope of getting him their hands on a Soviet superdog for research that we never saw it in the show. Uh, there were more than a few American G-men who spent years futilely trying to find the mystery machine as it continued on its travels. So that's a very interesting, very interesting theory. Um, yeah. So that's an interesting theory on Scooby-Doo. Um, very weird. But that would explain why he talks. Um, the other theory that they've always had on Scooby-Doo, that the original Scooby-Doo was based after a economic collapse um, which explained why everywhere they went there were so many ruins everywhere everything was in ruins they were always trying to save someone's store or company or factory because um, it was right on the, the verge of bankrupt because of whatever was happening and why almost every time the villain was like the curator of the museum 
or the scientist. It was always someone that normally in normal society would be considered a, you know, a usually a, a uh, an addition to society, not somebody that would be doing something like this, not a villain. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people believe that the Scooby-Doo was based in an economic collapse. Um, yeah, so so that's Scooby-Doo. So that, that, that ruins, you know, we had to go really old for, to get into Big D's childhood. Um, the next one is SpongeBob. So SpongeBob, you know, who lives in a pineapple under the sea. SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, we all know that one. Um, but yeah, but it was it was a cartoon for children. But I mean, it still had enough jokes that adults could get into. Um, but it's definitely one of those weird ones. There's a lot of weird theories on that one as well. Um, one uh, bikini bottom is the result of nuclear testing. Which would make sense because where was a lot of bikini testing done? The bikini atoll. Bikini testing. Nuclear testing was done on bikini atoll, which would make sense that bikini bottom would be below bikini atoll. Um, and this is one of the most the, the most common ones. So the Marshall Islands atoll where the U.S. government conducted 23 nuclear tests during the Cold War. That means Spudge Bombs and his friends are aquatic mutations whose bodies and minds have been warped by the nuclear waste above. The beginning of toll theory would also explain why everybody in this modern underwater community sends letters and dresses like a dad from the 1950s. There's also the fact that occasionally they just expl- they just explode for no fucking reason. They do a little bit. So the main characters represent the seven deadly sins. This is another one. Sloth, pride, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and wrath. Um, they're the seven deadly sins, but they're also, according to some Nickelodeon viewers, SpongeBob's seven main characters. Patrick spends most of his day snowing under a rock. So he's sloth. Mr. Krabs' obsession with money makes him a clear candidate for greed. While Cranky Squidward is a neat stand-in for wrath. Plankton's sole mission in life is to steal a Krabby Patty recipe. And with it, Mr. Krabs' success for himself, which is pretty much envy. That leaves gluttony for Gary, pride for Sandy, and lust for overly friendly Spongebob. That actually kind of makes sense. They all do kind of fit those roles. Because, I mean, if you watch it, you know, Gary was a glutton. He ate everything you could put in front of him. Sandy was so proud of being a Texan. And, yeah. I don't know about the lust for SpongeBob. I mean, he was overly friendly, but I, I mean, I don't know about the lust. I mean, was he that overly friendly? I don't know. Maybe. Um, another one is uh, Squidward is SpongeBob's guardian. Um, while SpongeBob loves spending time with the neighbors, Squidward tolerates him at best. So why didn't Squidward move or quit his job working alongside SpongeBob at the Krusty Krab? Um, SpongeBob's secretly rich parents hired Squidward to watch over SpongeBob, whom they suspect has ADHD. Who doesn't have ADHD? We all do. Um, they worried about how their son would fare on his own. They wanted him to have an independent life, so they bought SpongeBob a nice house. How else could he afford it on a fries cook salary? And gave Squidward a loan to help him move next door. Squidward has served as a sort of guardian ever since, and SpongeBob's parents purchased a separately modest home for themselves nearby so they could spend more money on travel. I'm okay with that. That sounds like a good idea. Buy a nice little tiny home and just go travel. Um, you probably assume SpongeBob SquarePants who lives in a pineapple under the sea is a sea sponge, right? Wrong. For this metaphor to work, he needs to be a kitchen sponge, representing human waste and pollution. So this one's about global warming. 
Mr. Krabs, as SpongeBob's employer, stands in for the large corporation that caused pollution, whilst Patrick, as SpongeBob's best friend, is Western civilization, i.e., lazy, and the main cause of the world's po- pollution. Squidward is the liberalism that calls for action against climate change, but because no one shares his interest, he's constantly ignored. I don't like that one. That one's dumb. That's a dumb theory. Um, I don't know who came up with that one. Um, Krabby Patties are made from crabs. So, what does that make Krabby Patty so delicious? It all comes down to a secret ingredient that only Mr. Krabs knows. And there might be a sinister reason why. He's keeping it under lock and key. Uh, many people believe Mr. Krabs is a cannibal who makes his burgers with crab meat. He's killed and served up all his crab friends for the business, which is why he's seemingly the only crab in town. And some even speculate that the long-absent Mrs. Krabs was a victim of his scheme. Well, anybody who's watched the show knows that his daughter's a whale. So I don't know if Mr. Cra- Mrs. Crab would be a crab. Uh, I think that my, I think it might have been talking about his mother, mm-hmm. who appeared in a few episodes, but then just disappeared. Okay. So yeah, okay, that that might be it. Um, another theory is that the 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 patties are actually vegan. That he makes ha- crab uh, burgers that taste like crab. Um, that he engineered a convincing imitation crab meat, and that is the true key to his success. Crustacean customers get all the great seafood taste without the soul-sucking guilt of eating their best friends. That's why they prefer the crusty crab to the rival chum bucket, which serves actual chum, not imitation fish parts. It's another interesting one. Uh, another one they, they, they say is the main characters are each addicted to a different drug. SpongeBob's quirks can be explained by personality or hallucinogens. This theory is that at least five SpongeBob SquarePants characters are addicted to a specific drug. Uh, SpongeBob takes shrooms, which, I mean, I get it. I love shrooms, too. Since he has a hyperactive imagination, the capacity for both joy, i.e. a good trip, and panic, i.e. a bad trip. I'm calling it now. Sandy's on meth. Haven't got that far yet. Uh, Patrick prefers weed, as evidenced by his slow speech, carefree attitude, and frequent bouts of the munchies. Squidward's moodiness and poor job performance could be attributed to heroin abuse. While Mr. Krabs and Mrs. Puff's ill tempers and paranoia might be signs of a cocaine problem. I don't say anything about about Sandy on that one. I could see that though. Sandy would be meth. Is that is that because she's from Texas or because of her attitude? Both. Okay. <laughs> Which I'm saying, no, not everyone from Texas is on meth. Not even gonna comment on that one. I wouldn't, considering we're most likely moving there. And so is the other host of the show. Um, the show is a metaphor for pre-World War II Germany. Like so many discussions on the internet, uh, this one begins with Hitler. The logic goes that Squidward, a failed artist and kind of a jerk with a, a squid superiority complex, represents Adolf. That would make sense because Hitler was a failed artist. A lot of people don't know that. Um, he wants to get rid of SpongeBob, who embodies the Jewish people. Patrick stands for German ignorance. He lives alongside SpongeBob and Squidward, but seems totally oblivious to the toxic dynamic. Sandy Cheeks is America, trying to free the Jews from Hitler's tyranny. All right, is comparing SpongeBob to the Jews something about his big nose? Is that is that what they're going for? I don't know. Finally, Mr. Krabs represents the rest of Europe, which looks down on Hitler and Germany for its role in World War One. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I like that one. That, that one's not a good dumb. one either. That one's kind of dumb too. A lot of these try and make them into to, to 
Nazis. There's a lot of the theories that try and make these cartoons into Nazis. Everyone tries to make everything about Nazis. That's why it's, yeah. The only time it actually applies is with, is with Star Wars, because the Stormtroopers were actually based off of Nazis. Yeah, we'll go down that rabbit hole someday. Um, last one on... on Biki- or SpongeBob. Um, SpongeBob and Squidward's homes are remnants of a tiki bar. What do you usually see at a tiki bar? Paper lanterns, flaming cocktails, pineapples, coconuts, stone tiki heads, and a bunch of faux flowers. And what do SpongeBob and Squidward's houses look like? A pineapple and a stone tiki head. So It's called a moai. Yeah. You're a moai. Um, argues that a sunken ship with the tiki bar on board brought these items to the bottom of the sea, and SpongeBob and Squidward decided to make them into their homes. Which, I mean, really, a lot of sea life does that. I mean, things that are just on the bottom, they just make them their... Yeah. They make them their homes. So that's that's SpongeBob. So that's an interesting one. Um, now now we'll get into a couple more dark and dirty ones. Um, this one this one kind of fascinates me because this was a show I used to love. Um, Inspector Gadget. Um, this was a theory that I never really thought of. But, I mean, if you really think about it and you think about the show, it it's... It could be true. Um, anybody who know, doesn't know, um, Inspector Gadget was a cyborg detective with a seemingly endless supply of gadgets. Um, but this theory states that he wasn't always a cyborg; that he had to be. He was a human at one point that was turned into a cyborg. But a lot of people actually have a theory that he's not technically really a cyborg. He's actually just a robot. He's a robot that was made fashioned after the original inspector um and that inspector which they say wouldn't have been you know most likely probably his last name might not have been gadget because you know it makes more sense the robot would be called the gadget but um so the theory is that either there was some kind of some kind of horrible accident that either an explosion, collapse, something that left him, that killed him. Um, the cops found this. The chief decided to do something never before attempted. They used the newest and most secret technology to recreate the man with superhuman powers. They programmed this robot version of the inspector to look and just act just like him and sound just like him, even to think like him. He was programmed with the very best AI and all to replace this, you know, to ins- replace the inspector. Um, the guy continued, the the robot continued to work for the company, even watched over um, Inspector Gadget's niece and, and their, his dog, just like the real human version would did. So he basically just stepped into his life and took over his life. This robot version just took over his life. Um, but the theory is, the only problem is, he didn't really die. The human version lived. And when he came back, because in the, in the accident he was deformed, you know, and everything else. Um, and when he tried coming back, all of a sudden there's this robot doppelganger that has taken over his life um, and has become him and has taken over his personality. So he decides he wants to destroy him and becomes Dr. Claw. That's why you never see his face. Because if you saw his face, you would see the Inspector Gadget. So the whole theory is that Inspector Gadget's main enemy is him. It's really the human version of him. Dr. Claw is the human version of Inspector Gadget. That's an interesting one. Because, yeah, you never see the, his face. You just see his arm and the cat. 
So that one I thought was quite interesting um, because I used to love watching Inspector Gadget, even without the kids. I just liked watching it. So that's more from my, you know, young adult childhood. So now this is the one that Big D was interested in, Ed, Ed, and Eddie. So Ed, Ed, and Eddie, which apparently Beej wasn't too excited about this one because in the last episode he whined that I was going to do it. Um, but the Ed, Ed, and Eddie. I've heard it so many times. But the, 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 the listeners haven't, you whiner. So Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Um, this is one that there, there's, a, it's a theory that, um, and it's posted a bunch of places. I found it all over the place. Um, that the kids who inhabit the cul-de-sac are actually dead. And that the lives they lead are actually take place in a purgatory-like setting. So according to theory, the children of the cul-de-sac hail from different eras spanning the early 1900s to the early 2000s. This will explain why the year for the show is very hard to pinpoint with multiple whatever, um, multiple things present that seem like they'd come from different time periods. And also why there aren't any adults in the show. Um, every now and then you catch a glimpse of one, but that's about it. So they say Ralph arrived first from the 1900s, which makes sense if you think about Ralph's character. Very, very simple, not very technologically, would seems like a lot of his personality would be someone from those times. Um, his family had moved to Peach Creek in order to establish a farm on its land. Rolf died around 1903 when his family's farm animals stampeded and trampled him. Uh, this was a supposed reason as to why he only has one cow, one goat, a few pigs, and a few chickens, not enough animals to cause a fatal stampede in the afterlife. Johnny 2x4 came to the cul-de-sac not too long after Rolf's death. Having no friends, Johnny took a marker and drew a face on a piece of wood and dubbed it Plank. He died in 1922 after fighting a long battle of tuberculosis. Six years before the discovery of penicillin, he took his friend Plank with him in the afterlife since he was the last thing that he saw in life before he died. Purgatory would also explain Plank's occasional sentient behavior, which is most notably demonstrated in the movie. Which is always weird. Um, Eddie came next. He was born in New York, but eventually moved to Peach Creek during the Great Depression era, always trying to get a quick buck. He always set up scams to get money from the cul-de-sac kids in an effort to escape the poverty he spent his whole life in. Which anybody who's never seen this show, the whole per- subject, the whole like premise of the entire show is Ed, Ed, and Ed, who's also known as Double D, um, are all trying to scam the other kids in the cul-de-sac to get enough money to buy jawbreakers. It's the entire show. Which sounds stupid, but it's actually kind of an entertaining show. Um, Yeah, Eddie didn't have a proper father figure since his real father abandoned him and his mother shortly after he was born. With this came the big bro he adorned and idolized so very much despite the later later's or the latter's abuse of nature. After one of his scams went awry, Eddie was chased by the swindled uh, children of the cul-de-sac and ran to the lake and jumped into it. Eddie ended up drowning in that lake, and he soon joined the other deceased children in the afterlife. Even though he was no longer alive, Eddie still tried to chase after the almighty dollar by continuous his swindling nature in the afterlife. And if you haven't seen the show, Eddie is the shorter one who is always the, the one trying to, to come up with schemes. 
Uh, Ed and Sarah were the next to arrive at the cul-de-sac. Their father had died fighting in World War II, and as a result, their mother became distant and disconnected. To cope, Sarah developed her bossy attitude, trying to fill the role their parents used to fill before their father died, and their mother stopped caring. Conversely, Ed shut the world out and delved into the fantasy world of comic books and monster movies, which exploded in popularity during and after World War II in order to escape his unhappy life. They both died in a freak car accident in 1953, just during the past kids and death. Naz was born in the 1960s era to hippie parents. Described as a flower child, she was a rather flirtatious young girl who'd always, who would always act that way towards the male children of the neighborhood. In the summer of 79, a serial killer escaped from a local asylum, made his way into her house, and raped and murdered her along with her entire family. That one just went dark. Uh, Ed, or Double D, was born in the 70s. When preparing to attend college from a young age, became the societal norm. Uh, expectation and was raised by very strict, controlling, emotionally distant parents. They pushed him to succeed ag- academically and to be perfect, clean, and neat. He's believed to die as a result of a gas leak causing an explosion with the Bunsen burner from his chemistry set. Now, anytime you watch it, Double D was the smart one that was always nervous and trying to figure everything out, which that explains everything. Uh, Kevin was born around the early 1980s. He was born to a broken-down house. And he also had an abusive father who was poorly educated and his mother had passed away when he was a year old. Because of this, his, his situation at home, Kevin would act as frustration on the children of the cul-de-sac, becoming a bully to cope with his repressed anger. His fascination with his bike fits right in at the birth of the popular X Games in 95. Um, one night in the summer of 99, his father to- fatally beat him in a fit of drunken rage and he died while he was on his way to the hospital. His father was then convicted of his murder and he was sentenced to life in prison. When Kevin entered into the afterlife, he reimagined his father as loving and that he would charm him with gifts. He still kept his bullying ways in the afterlife, however. Which, yeah, makes sense. Uh, Jimmy was the last child to enter the cul-de-sac. He was born in the early 1990s and was diagnosed with leukemia. He never associated with the other cul-de-sac children because his parents believed he was too frail to be around the other kids and he remained bedridden for the remainder of his life because of this fact. After fighting a difficult battle with his leukemia, Jimmy eventually succumbed to his illness and soon the cul-de-sac purgatory was complete. Which a lot of people would wonder, well, wait a minute, what about the cankers? The cankers were different from the other neighborhood children. It is believed that they were actually demons that were sent to the cul-de-sac to torment the souls of the many children who didn't cross over to heaven. The cankers are only characters with normal colored tongues, which seem to indicate that they are not dead and that therefore they must be something different. Surprisingly, the cankers are attracted to the Eds for unknown reasons. However, one common guess is that they are the weakest willed children of the cul-de-sac or because they each symbolize a certain deadly sin. Very interesting theory. I mean, and really, if you think about it, and you think about the way each, if you ever watch Ed and Eddie, you think about the way each of these characters acted, a lot of those, the way that definitions make sense. Um... The theory points to facts um, for as evidence the children have green-blue tongues and the tongue does in fact turn a bluish shade when you die. There's a conspicuous lack of adults or even other children. The summer is endless. And the whole series takes place in the same area. Very weird. Huh. So, yeah, that that's that's a very... Very interesting thing. And then, let's see. There's another theory. Um, many theories surrounding Double D's trademark sock hat and the mystery behind what could just be under it. Many viewers believe that he was deformed from birth 
and that he either had an ear underneath his hat or a deformed twin. These beliefs stems from multiple occurrences in the show in which Ed is shown without his hat on. For example, in the TV movie for the series, Ed, Ed, and Eddie's Big Picture Show, Eddie was horrified by what was under his friend's hat, and Ed also asked Double D if whatever was under his head hurt. Unfortunately, the year Ed's head is obscured during this scene, and he doesn't get to find out what the big reveal was. Uh, many people believe that Ed is either bald or blonde hair. This theory most likely stemmed from the Cartoon Network video game entitled Lunchroom Rumble. If you were to play as Ed, Double D, and were also able to beat the game, uh, the Ed Sprite would then proceed to take off its hat and show, throw it into the air in triumph. However, this is actually false um, because the computer game wasn't produced by AKA Cartoons, the Canadian animated studio that produced the show and therefore is not, con- not canon in the, to the main series. The idea about Ed having blonde hair is also false because Ed clearly has three strands of black hair on the back of his head, and therefore this is also debunked. Another theory is that Double D has cancer, which makes a great deal of sense. In the movie, Ed's next line of dialogue after Eddie sees him with his hat off, uh, you stop that, and Eddie's facial expression says that Eddie's reaction uh, was gross exaggerated and that whatever is under Ed's hat is just something ugly that kids would laugh at rather than find horrifying. The circumstantial evidence of Ed's hat being on the only cloth, his determination to let go of his hat um, and not being worse off from enduring physical damage than the other Ed suggests that Ed is hiding something purely cosmetic and not anything debilitating. Uh, If hit in continuation with the original theory, Double D may have ignited his hair in his fatal Bunsen burner accident. His eyebrows and head obscured constantly by a sock hat and short, singed hairs come from the back of his head, out from under his cap. Given this, it is highly probable that it is bald and hides a surgery scar under his hat, likely to remove a brain tumor, which is not uncommon among childhood cancer cases. Or maybe he just likes his hat. So those are some interesting ones on Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Um, just very weird. Um... Another one that Big D mentioned, you know, the other day to me, I don't know if it was on air, I think it might have been after, um, was the Powerpuff Girls. Um, So there's a couple theories here. Uh, There's one, the imaginary theory. Uh, According to this theory, the girls are actually just normal children who pretend to be superheroes. The girl's father, Professor Utonium, isn't actually a scientist at all. In fact, I believe that he's simply an ordinary pharmacist who makes medicine in his basement for a company. This is the reason as to why the girls are never allowed into the basement. Mojo, the series antagonist, was actually the girl's half-brother. He was sexually interested in his younger siblings, and he attempted to capture them any way he saw fit. Um, this is the reason, supposed reason as to why he is the most feared figure in the main series. Him, the satanic figure in the main series, is believed to have been the girl's homosexual uncle. The reason to why he's seen as the devil in the main series is because his brother, Utonium, was very intolerant of homosexuals and deemed the concept as being ungodly. He also convinced his daughters to stay away from his brother, and he never mentioned his brother by name, and said he only referred to his brother as him. However, some believe him stands for his infernal majesty, a name for Satan. I much prefer the theory where Utonium is Samurai Jack. I haven't got there yet. Slow down. Slow it down, buddy. I'm on my way there. Uh, The theory also states that Fuzzy Lumpkins is their neighbor. The gangrene gang are normal teenagers who go along with it. The mayor of Townsville himself as the girl's grandfather, Mrs. Bellum, might be the girl's aunt. That one's not as fun. Just people with an imagination. Hmm, lame. 
One uh, of the members of the Gangrene Gang actually joined the Gorillas a while back. What? Yeah, Ace. He joined the Gorillas as the bass player. Weird. <laughs> okay then. Well, that's new. All right. Um, then there's the Brenda theory. This series sees the Powerpuff Girls as being fractions of one host body. The host is unknown to the audience, but for convenience sake, let's call her Brenda. The reason as to why Brenda develops disassociative identity disorder was because she had an older brother who bullied her. This older brother would then be manifested as Mojo Jojo. Mojo Jojo. Uh, in the main series, let's take a look as to what each girl represents. Blossom, she represents the girl that Brenda wanted to be. Brenda wanted to be a mature and level-headed young girl and had an ego to boost. Bubbles represented her soft and bubbly side. She also symbolizes the innocence and submissiveness that Brenda had possessed in reality. On a few rare occasions, however, a bit of Brenda's aggressive nature would be manifested in Bubbles, and as a result, Bubbles is often shown as being rather feisty in the main series. Buttercup, she's Brenda's aggressive side. Buttercup was created from Brenda's thoughts of retaliating against her older brother, and Buttercup ultimately represents her dissatisfaction with her life. However, despite Buttercup representing her violent side, she is still shown as having hidden depths to her character. These depths, however, are mostly reserved for the Bubbles persona, as mentioned above. So, there's a few. Um, that's an interesting one. The Brenda theory is weird. Um, the one that Beege just mentioned is uh, the Samurai Jack theory. Um, if you if you watch the Powerpuff Girls and Samurai Jack, um, I don't know if they were made by the same person, but the their animation is very similar. Let me look up if Gendy Tartakovsky uh, did the art for Powerpuff Girls. Okay. Um, Samurai Jack, the Samurai Jack series, the Powerpuff Girls' dad resembles that of Samurai Jack. He really does. If you look at him, he looks like more of a clean-cut version of Samurai Jack. Um, and that these two are the same people, but in two alternate times. One time where an evil took over the land, and Jack's dad didn't defeat. And another one where Jack's dad did defeat a coup. Uh, there's also a resemblance between where they are, such as places um, in Powerpuff Girls are also in Samurai Jack, but destroyed. In the world where Jack's dad defeats a coup, his powers are put into the sword. Later, Jack moves to another town and becomes a scientist. The chemical X is actually a coup that has been drained of life and is only sludge. His aggressive side was put into Buttercup, his secret soft side uh, into Bubbles, and his leader skills into Blossom. But in the reality where Jack's dad doesn't defeat a coup, Jack can't pursue his dreams of science as he has to stop a coup, and so he never creates the Powerpuff Girls. So, that's an interesting one. Yeah, uh, Gendy Tartakovsky did, in fact... Uh, do the art, or he was the animation director for both series, as well as Dexter's Laboratory. That explains why Dexter looks a lot like that, yeah. too. And so, the Clone Wars series from 2008. I've yeah, that one, that was a really good series. That was good. Yeah. That was. Um, so, yeah, so that, that would explain why they look a lot alike. But, yeah, so that's the theory, is that in the Powerpuff universe, um, Samurai Jack's dad did beat a coup, and Samurai Jack was able to not have to fight a coup and spend his entire life hunting a coup, um, and that a coup didn't destroy the world um, like he did in Samurai Jack. So that's a, that's an interesting theory. I actually like that one. I really do. That the the Professor Utonium is really just Samurai Jack, um, just in a world where a coup was beaten. I've usually heard the theory that uh, Samurai Jack takes place in a post-apocalyptic version of the Powerpuff Girls world. I've heard that one too. Yeah, that 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 it was a post-apocalyptic. That maybe Samurai Jack is a descendant of Professor Utonium. 
and that Aku had killed the Powerpuff Girls. So, so I've heard it, yeah, that way too. All right, so yeah, that that that's the Powerpuff Girls, which was very interesting. Um, there's another one, and this is this one. I wanted to end on this one because this one is just so dumb. I couldn't help it, but this one is dumb. Um, there's a couple of there's a couple of really weird ones. Um, what Babar is a colonial stooge is one, which I know. I'm not going to go deep into that one. So, I mean, it's basically um, that the anamorphic French elephant uh, be an apologist for centuries of Western Britannian conquest. Um, according to the Holy Hell is Barber, Babar problematic theory, the fact that the titular character was born in Africa, raised and civilized in Paris, then sent back to elephant land to be king and teach all the other elephants how to be French makes Babar about as suitable for children as a ladybird introduction to eugenics and a Playmobil King Leopold. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, that one's scary, actually. Uh, my f- favorite, though. Um, well, actually, here's another one, actually, before I get to my favorite. Uh, Tom and Jerry and Nazi propaganda. Which... This article actually says they're the best thing I've ever heard. Either we're so obsessed with Nazism, Nazism that we look for it and find it in literally everything, or the antics of a class cat and mouse, ca- cat and mouse do are really to contain coded messages about the futility of the Allies' war with the Third Reich. Wow. So, go for if we're gonna go for the 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 the, the horrible that they are. Um, the characters' names, Tom, Tommy's were British soldiers, and Jerry, Jerry's were German ones. Tom is the bad guy in every episode. He tries to kill Jerry by any means possible, but is foiled every single time, getting blown up by sticks of dynamite and flattened by falling anvils along the way. Uh, Tom and Jerry first aired in 1940, the same year as the Battle of Britain, so the reference to, to slang for Brits and Germans was an unintentional. It was more than a little bit unfortunate. And according to some albeit sketchy-looking corners of the internet, this was not an accident at all, but a message in that Jerry constantly outwits Tom about superior German intelligence. Wow. That's 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 a screwed-up one. Um, and then lastly, I, I am going to end with this one. Um, the Smurfs. The Smurfs are white supremacists. Um, yeah. This one, this one is a dark, dirty one. Um, or maybe blue supremacists. Um, but either way, they, 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 it's thought that they're racist. Possibly. Um, all the Smurfs wear white hats. White pointy hats, kind of like, hmm, the KKK. And except for Papa Smurf, who wears a red one. Which means he's the leader. Just like, oh, say the Grand Dragon in the KKK. Um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's a crazy one. Um, it's tenuous at best. Um, there's a few other things that people think actually do make this, this more true. Um, there was a French political scientist named Antoine Bueno. Um, and Bueno suggested the dictatorial political structure of Smurf Village paired with some actually quite convincing racism. When Smurfs turn black, for example, they become barbaric and lose the power of speech. Um, equals Nazism. 
Uh, what's more, the Smurfs' main antagonist, a wizard called Gargamel, is not unlike any anti-Semitic character from Nazi propaganda magazine Der Sturmer. He's dark-haired, hook-nosed, and obsessed with gold. Oh, and he has a cat called Azrael, which is the Hebrew name for the Angel of Death. And then, you know, you, of course, you got Smurfette, who is blonde hair, blue-eyed. Um, yeah, well, I guess black-eyed, but blonde hair, but still Aryan. Just slightly Aryan. Um, a little more into this one. Uh, let's see, Smurfs. This according to Bueno's theory. Uh, Smurfs, charming blue imps, are horrible Stalinist, racist, and anti-Semites. In complete autocracy, the Smurf society is collectivist and directed by a single and omnipotent leader, the great Smurf. They are ridiculous Puritans. Racism is obvious in the Black Smurf album where purity of blood becomes vital, or in that of the Smurfette where the blonde Aryan is idolized. Their sworn enemy, Gargamel, has a profile reminiscent of an anti-Semitic character, and his cat is named Azrael. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so that, that, that one, that one, that one I wanted to end on. Um, cause it's just fucking ridiculous. Um, it's one of those things I think with any TV show, any cartoon, if you look for something, you can find something, you can turn things into your own theories. We've proved that time and time again, while we've talked about some of the theories on this show. Um, there's, there's another theory that I didn't mention Garfield. Um, he's actually not with John and Odie. John and Odie are figments of his imagination cause he is, um, having hallucinations because he's starving to death in an abandoned house. That theory is actually taken from an episode, a Halloween episode, where he wakes up um, from his drunken, or his, uh, his, his starvation coma um, and realizes where he's at um, and then pushes himself, his imagination back to, to Odie and, and John, um, which comes from, a Hall- like I said, a Halloween episode. Uh, in Pokemon, Ash Ketchum is actually in a coma, that's why he keeps finding Pokemon that should he should have known about that he never did because they're all in his brain. Um, and why he's been able to, like, the exact same age for 30 years. Um, we're not even going to go into The Simpsons because The Simpsons are just, I mean, we could do a whole series on The Simpsons. Uh, who Framed Roger Rabbit? Rabbit. Rabbit. Who Framed Roger Rabbit um, is about gentrification and segregation, uh, which makes sense. You know, the, the crazy, you know, Non-tunes are coming into Toontown to buy up all the land and killing the tunes that don't do what they want them to. Um, sounds a lot like the gentrification and segregation that we've, you know, we are we dealt with in our world years and years ago. That hopefully we're should be trying to get rid of eventually. Hopefully, um, yeah. So that's that's really it on this episode. Like I said, I wanted to have some fun. Um, we've been going crazy on some of these really dark, deep, disgusting ones, and I wanted a fun one. Uh, every once in a while, like I've said before, I got to throw a fun one in there to get my mind out of the darkness. Um, and while you guys are listening to this, hopefully I'm sitting on a beach in Maui. Um, actually, no, I should be in Oahu by now. So, um, so yeah, um, enjoy. Uh, if you have any comments, send me messages. Uh, Mr. Underscore B underscore 666 on Instagram. Um, otherwise, you can email us at uh, down the RH at NWCZ. Or sorry, the that was so bad. Down the RH at protonmail.com. Um, and you can hear us on NWCZ Channel 1 Sunday nights at 8 o'clock. We are live. 
um, and then except for obviously the midweek episodes. And thank you all for listening. This has been fun. Um, I will see you soon, and I'm out. I would recommend you talk about creepy pastas, but that might actually make me kill myself.